Hello and welcome to Puglisi Associates Podcast. I'm Rocco Puglisi and I'm pleased to be joined today by Eugene D. Pasquale, Pennsylvania Auditor General. Welcome, Eugene. Good to have you here today. Hey, thanks, Rocco. Thanks for having me. Hey, let's start with a question that might offer our listeners some personal insight about you. How did you get started in politics and why? My grandfather was the president of the Pittsburgh City Council um, when I was a kid, so I think that probably you know, whetted my appetite a little bit for it. And, you know, we would go out and put up his yard signs and uh, lit drop and that type of thing. So that's what's probably got me first interested in politics. So I know uh, you started as a uh, state representative in New York County and Auditor General. So how do you feel about accomplishing the things that you wish to accomplish? Well, obviously, when you're involved in politics, there's things you fight for that never happen and some things that come on your lap that you achieve that you never even thought of. To me, you know, you know, when I was a state legislator, I was proud of the record that we were able to secure more education funding. And it was, you know, my fight that helped ban texting while driving. Um, as Auditor General, there's, you know, a couple of things that I think we've made some tremendous impact on. I think, um, you know, helping reduce the number of untested rate kits is something I'm proud of. Obviously, we want to get that down to zero, but, you know, starting at a couple thousand and now getting it, you know, about a thousand still untested, that's good progress. Um, so, you know, um, we had the fit, we found 58,000 unanswered phone calls at the child abuse hotline, a 25% error rate. Now it's under 2%. Again, you always want to make things perfect or at least fight for perfection, but those are two pretty big accomplishments that I'm proud of. Obviously, impact on real people's lives, too. That's great. Turning to the budget, uh, you and I had a conversation prior to the podcast, and it's on everyone's mind. So what are your thoughts on the budget spending plan? Uh, first of all, I, I say this without trying to be flip at all. I don't know where the word compromise became a dirty word in politics. I just don't know that every time you hear a legendary story about the good old days, and I know that the good old days weren't always good, but whenever you hear it, it always revolves around somebody understanding their side had to give a little and the other side had to give a little. And somewhere that got lost. And so you have two competing issues right now. One is, you know, the state has a structural deficit. And two is a desire for not having any more cuts. So that happens and you're going to have to have some level of compromise. And it's been very frustrating as a fiscal watchdog for the state that that hasn't happened because not having a full budget is actually costing taxpayers money in a what I call a sort of, in a sense, a secret tax. Because all this posturing that's happening is going to lead to a credit downgrade of the state. That's going to happen. And if that happens, it's a backdoor tax increase on the people of this state. So let's talk about the credit downgrade. What do you think that would mean uh, from a average taxpayer? Yeah, so I get it on one hand. It, it's not sort of the most soundbite thing we're going to get a credit downgrade. That's sure. not something that people are going to talk around in their kitchen table. So let me make it clear as what happens. It makes it more expensive to the state to borrow money. And the state borrows money a lot of times to do big projects, infrastructure, transportation, school district projects. Every time you see a big construction project that almost always was paid for with some level of borrowing. So if there's a credit downgrade, that borrowing gets more expensive. And think about it if you are the consumer and you're listening to this. If you have a good credit score, it is more affordable for you to buy a home. If you have a bad credit score, it's less affordable to buy the home. It's the same thing with the state. Credit downgrade leads less projects, less people working, less things getting done. 
Thank you. So let's talk about issues of importance to you as the State Auditor General. In my time working with you on municipal pension reform and other financial issues in the Commonwealth, you are regarded as being apolitical and doing what is right versus what is politically correct. How would you want to comment on that? I'd like to think a lot of that is true, but the idea of being apolitical is, I want to clear this up, I've had to run for state office now two times, and the idea that I never think about politics is, that's just not factual. Now, do I believe we do what is right and then try to explain it in, in a way that is practical and connects with people? Absolutely. So on the issue of municipal pensions, where I've gotten that reputation is, as a Democrat, being critical of the municipal pension system, which is mostly happening in cities where mostly is happening with Democratic mayors and mostly impacting municipal unions, people say uh, this is some level of political bravery. First of all, let's, real bravery was you know, Normandy invasion, okay? It is, it, political bravery is not the same as bravery. So the, those kids that stormed the beach at Omaha Beach, that's real bravery. Me saying the numbers don't add up on our municipal pension system, that's, that's not real bravery. What it is is simply saying the truth, which is the numbers don't add up. Now, I understand why people, again, come back to saying that's not politically correct because that would, in a sense, cut against what is, quote-unquote, a Democratic constituency. But I view whether you're a Republican, Democrat, or non-voter, if we don't fix this problem, it's only going to be more expensive down the road. And again, regardless of whether you're a Republican, Democrat, or a non-voter, or independent, whatever, if you fix the system now, it will be more affordable to maintain some version of it in the future, as opposed to if you do nothing and continue to bury your head in the sand, then what's going to end up happening is the system will implode and will have less safe streets because cities won't be able to afford cops and firefighters anymore. Well, which brings me to a recent development that the city of Philadelphia just finalized a uh, policeman contract. How is the city of Philadelphia going to pay for that? It's a good question, and we don't really have the answer for how they're going to do it other than I'm concerned about how almost any of these cities are going to pay for some of these future benefits. And again, I wish there was more of an understanding of what happened in York. You know, I understand why not everyone would understand what happened in York with their municipal pension system a couple of years ago. But the Mayor Bracey was literally into an impossible situation. She thought and she proposed furloughing 40% of the police department. And the retirees in the police department, not required to do this, gave up future pension benefit increases to make sure that those furloughs didn't happen. And because of that, they didn't have to furlough any police officer. But that, I thought that would have been more of a wake-up call than it was because that's what's going to be confronting cities if they don't tackle this problem or if the state doesn't tackle it comprehensively, which is there's going to be law enforcement layoffs. And I don't say that, I say that with sadness more than anything else, but that is what's coming this problem is, or you're going to have every other service in city, right. to put, you know, no parks, sure. no recreation, that type of thing. What is the aggregate uh, amount that is underfunded in terms of across the state as it relates to municipal pension? Now, technically speaking, the number of the unfunded pension liability is about $7 billion. I believe, now that's based on audits, 
I believe it is actually significantly worse because that is based on a rate of return projection of between five and nine percent. Now, if anybody thinks that every city in the state is getting between five and nine percent return, you know, I've got some swamp land <laughs> in central Pennsylvania to sell you. The reality is that there's some cities that are getting in one, two, three percent, which means I think it is closer to 10 to 11 billion. And out of that, how much is Philadelphia? Philadelphia is about half. Half? But here's what, there's a scary statistic in this because Philly, because of its size, sure. is a bigger number. Right. I get that. And it's easy to sort of use them as the political pinata in Pennsylvania. However, they are not in the top 10 of the percentage of the unfunded liability. So what I mean by that is their number's higher, but do not think that this is actually just a Philadelphia or even a Pittsburgh problem. Pittsburgh isn't even in the top 20 on percentage. Scranton laps the field when it comes to the problem. Moving on from municipal pension, from your perspective, what are the key issues affecting you in this office? Uh, for, for us, I mean, the number one thing that I worry about just on a day-by-day -day basis, you know, there, I talked about, you know, the, the child line and our mm -hmm. child abuse problem in Pennsylvania. That's certainly a major issue, certainly the untested rape kits. Um, so, it's, you know, just those two things from a bigger picture issue. The day-by-day -day concern is school district finances. You know, um, we have 500 school districts. Again, a handful of them are on very solid footing, but there are every day more and more of them that are falling in further and further, further financial trouble. And that, that, that is some of the most worrisome thing that I see because we audit every school district once every three years. So out of the 500 school districts, there is a claim uh, voiced by uh, folks in the General Assembly that a number of school districts have a fair amount of money in reserve. Is that correct? There's two things about this. One is, that's correct. But I've pointed out, and some of them are friends of mine, I say, if you're going to be equally tough on the ones that appear to be, and sometimes with justification hoarding money, then you also have to equally pay attention to the handful of school districts that have that spent it down to almost zero because they were told by the General Assembly to do that. So I get there's a handful that said basically to the General Assembly, we don't trust you, so we're going to keep hoarding this money. They've, in a sense, again, I disagree with what they've done, and I've called them out on it, but their strategy has actually been vindicated by the school districts that spent down their surplus and now sitting around going, wait a minute, where's our reward for doing, quote, unquote, the right thing? Interesting. And it's about equal number on both sides. Sure. Thank you. Wouldn't it be from a Auditor General's perspective best to consolidate? And whether it's school districts, whether it's local municipalities, when you go in and you do these audits, and you see you know, the same thing, right. one region, another region, another region, when do you think it will, we will have the foresight to start looking at consolidation? We advocate, when I say we, meaning my department, I've advocated for on the municipal pension side, not you know, putting every pension together into one, but having one pension administered. In a lot of states, you'll have the municipal pension system. And that's every, no, yeah, so the different townships and municipalities in these other states, they may have their own separate pension fund, but it's run by one administrator. The amount of fees we pay out would be greatly cut. 
just by doing that. Does that solve the whole problem? Because I mean, a lot of times when I say this, I want to be clear. It'd be easy for me to say, if we just you know, did this and it solves all the world problems, you know, and it's that. That's not, but it would go a long way towards helping. School district side, people say, I don't want my school district consultant. I don't think anyone is advocating, and certainly not I, that you combine every high school in Pennsylvania into one giant high school into sort of a huge size right. skyscraper in the center part of the state. Talking about what I believe you're talking about and something that I've advocated for is more consolidation of administrative functions. I think in every county there should be one contract for photocopies, one contract for healthcare, one contract for football equipment, band equipment, all that stuff. I think we should be consolidating that stuff and use our bulk purchasing power to get better bang for our buck. Okay, so do you think that the General Assembly, are you going to be recommending certain things to the General Assembly to try to have government yeah. from your perspective be much more efficient? Uh, this will sound like I'm a wisecrack, but it's also an analysis. They're three months late on a constitutionally required balanced budget, so my confidence of them doing other items of significant work is right now limited. Okay, that's candid. Let's talk about economic development. Yeah. I know when you were a state representative in York, that was one of the key elements yeah. in terms of your role there. Considering Pennsylvania's economic outlook and your experience auditing various state and local finances, in your opinion, what are the things that the state could and should be doing to proactively have a significant positive impact for Pennsylvanians? I have two ideological, just citizen Eugene perspectives on this before we go into the auditor hat. Number one is I would prefer if it, as a nation, that we wouldn't have states competing with each other to try to lure factors into other other states. I think that's cheating the taxpayers. That's just my that's just my overall view is just as an American. I did, I don't like that system. Having said that, as a Pennsylvanian, if other states are doing it, you gotta you gotta compete. But I don't like the system. Moving forward, I think there's three things a state could do before you even get to economic development programs. Having more competitive tax rate continue to try to get better infrastructure. And I think our workers and our education system is literally one of the most envious in the world. So we have better infrastructure, more competitive tax rates. I think with our workforce and our educational environment, you know, you have Pitt, Penn State, Temple, uh, Lincoln Universities, our state related, our state universities are great. And we've got some of the best private schools in the world. So I think on balance, if we had a better tax rate and better infrastructure, we would win more than we wouldn't. Specifically on the economic development programs, as Auditor General now, we have found that the state is could be doing a lot more effective job in making sure we, we're getting a better bang for our buck. So, for example, we give $100. I'm just using that to be rough on the numbers. Give $100 to Company A for each job they create. And then we weren't checking to see if they actually created the jobs. And so whether, and again, I tell people, whether you like that system or not, we should, whether, and we know there's people on both sides of this. One thing I think is undeniable is if you're giving someone a grant to create the jobs, we should at least make sure they're actually creating the jobs. And for a long, our audit found that for a long time, we weren't doing that as a state. We're doing it now. Though. Yes, we are doing it now, yes. And our audit uncovered that, and, uh, and uh, huge kudos to Secretary Gavin for implementing those audit recommendations. You know, you, you're, you're making a certain inference, and some folks have voiced the need for waste, fraud, and abuse means to tackle, whether it's Department of Human Services 
or whether it's other agencies. And what did you uncover as the Auditor General? And let's just look at Department of Human Services. Did you see much? The short answer is we saw some ways and we called it out. We found about 2,700 people that were deceased still getting cash assistance. That is an enormous problem. And what, what we found was the Department of Human Services was not cross-checking with the Social Security Administration to eliminate that. And sometimes, you know, when you're out there on the political stump and you're giving the stump speech, it sounds like you're trying to be foot, but you could be a Bernie Sanders Democrat, you could be a Rick Santorum Republican. I've yet to see anyone run for office on the idea of getting more cash assistance to dead people. Beyond that, a lot of people would like to believe that just getting rid of that is enough to balance the whole of the budget. That waste is wrong, but we still have a structural challenge in Pennsylvania because our demographics are such that we have a lot of seniors that need nursing home care, et cetera, and the Medicaid budget is really strained and our rising health care costs are a significant strain on the state budget. We want to take care of our most vulnerable. But that's the real reason why. People say, why does the cost keep going up? Well, because the cost of medical care keeps going up. That's the driver. But we have found during my term in office about $600 million in what would be termed as waste, fraud, and abuse. And I think that, you know, you know when you have a $2.2 billion hole in the budget, cut $600 million of that. Hasn't fixed the whole thing, but it's not a bad start either. Is that $600 million just from DHS or just statewide? Statewide. Statewide, yeah. That's well, still a lot of it's money. It's still a lot of money, yeah. Interesting. And have the various agencies come back to you to report that there's mechanisms in place to try to yeah. recoup and try to deal with that large number? Um, the short answer is yes. Um, some of the ones we've gone back to check, and we do see, like, you know, for instance, that check, cross-check with the Social Security Administration right. in, excuse me, DHS, that's now been implemented. At some point, we're going to have to do our own independent verification to make sure it's working, right. but we do know they put that in. Okay. And we do know, sorry, that um, Department of Community and Economic Development, they are now requiring, a, what, it, what they've done is, and this is the way to get on the job creation check, is you simply do a cross-check on the payroll numbers. Department of Labor and Industry, and that's now happening. And then they have a uh, crawlback. That's correct. Okay. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I have two uh, remaining questions. First question is, if you were governor for today. Which I'm not. If you were governor for today, what would you do for that day? I would use whatever skill I had to try to resolve the budget problem, because I think that's the most important thing for the governor to try to do. Maybe it, maybe I wouldn't have the skill necessary to get it done either, but I think, you know, look, um, I, I think the, the funny joke would be I'd you know, take the state plan or do something like that, but the reality is we've got a budget problem here, and that's got to be solved. And it certainly is not all the governor's fault. In fact, I can make an argument that a pretty big chunk of it is not his fault, but that's the number one job. Uh, lastly, if you were general manager of the Pittsburgh Pirates for a day. This is probably going to get more funny. <laughs> What would you do since you are a very rabid pirate bucko fan? What would you do for that one day as general manager? I would meet with the ownership group. And I would say we have two paths in front of us. We can either try to win or try to be entertaining. Entertaining, you got the pierogies running around the outfield. Let me tell you something. I'm not one of the ones that roots for... The, I don't pick a favorite pierogi to win the race. That, that's not why I'm going to the ballpark. 
when they start shooting those t-shirts into the crowd, guess who's not jumping over 17 kids to try to get the $2 t-shirt that probably has spaghetti stains on it. I'm going there because I love baseball and I root for the Pirates and I want them to win. And so if I were general manager, I'd say, we can keep entertaining. We'd have Oliver Pierogi, Peter Pierogi, whatever stupid names they have out there, running around the outfield and the kids, the kids love it. I get it. And, you know, when they shoot the t-shirts in and people think they get their, you know, the, the, their, their day's been made because they got their, you know, their free t-shirt with the spaghetti stain on it. You can either choose that or you can actually open up the wallet and try to win. Because what you do is you got you to get a better bullpen, the pirate bullpen this year. Horrible. Horrible. Couldn't hold a lead. And I don't know what the issue was um, with Gung. I don't know, but there should have been a decision made earlier in the year that if he's not going to play there, you got to go out and get a real third baseman. And by the way, Freeze is a really good, at this stage of his career, is a really good platoon player. But he will tell you, I'm sure in a moment of candor, he was never envisioning this year, at this stage of his career, to be an everyday middle of the lineup third baseman. That was too much to ask for him. So they should have gone out and gotten a third baseman that could have played every day. And understanding Marte and the performance enhancing drug test, that was a bad break. But here's the part that no one's brought up. The Pirates did make the playoffs. Marte wasn't allowed to play. They had no plan to even have him in place, which means I'm concerned that they were more worried about making money. And I get it, it's a business, than trying to put a better team on the field. But baseball today, starters only are expected to go five to six innings. That's the, and people can be out there listening, oh, I don't like that system. You may not like it. That's baseball today. They want three to four guys to throw every game, fresher arms, etc. That's the game today. They want guys coming out of that bullpen throwing 95, 96, throwing one inning, then you get the next game. And the Pirates didn't have enough quality guys to do that, which meant they couldn't hold leads and they never could come back late in games. And their bullpen was their downfall this season. Would you try and get a uh, starter? I'm going to start off with this. No pun intended on starter. Um, Glass knows i got to make a decision on him. Again, you're talking about if I'm the general manager. Yeah. i got to sit down with the people that know the game and say, does this kid have it or not? Because right now, he throws 98-99, which for those listening out there, that ain't chunk change. That's bringing it. Because on the Hurricanes, they said, watch out, you might get hit with debris traveling 70 miles an hour. And I'm sitting around going... Now, that would really sting. Imagine getting hit with a baseball throwing 98. So he can really bring it, but he can't hold anybody on. And so I would have a, a meeting with my staff because if Glasnost isn't going to be a top-of-the-rotation starter, then they do have to go out and get a starter. If he is, him, Tyone, Cole, Cool, and... Um, Nova? And, and, and Nova's probably really a 4 or 5 starter. Okay. But if he's your 4 or 5 starter, Glasnost is 3, Tyone 2, Cole 1. Now, you have a real rotation. You, that's a real rotation. But I got to know if Glasnost can do it. And right now, I mean, he, he couldn't hold a little later on. I mean, it's really... Every time he walks somebody, the guy steals second base because he can't hold runners on. And I realize when you throw 98, your whole life you've never had to hold anyone on. But... He has to get better there because, as they say, at this level, son, guys can steal bases. If I know Glasnost can't be a top-of-the-rotation guy, then I go out and get another starter. If he can, then I, then I take that, that budget that I was going to go out and get a starter, and I use it to shore up my bullpen. Not that I thought about it that much. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
And by the way, I'm playing with monopoly money. Like the ownership group would probably well, come back to me and say, "Yeah, we're only giving you this much money." Too. So, so Eugene, down the road, uh, what is your future? Future <laughs> general manager, general manager of the Pittsburgh. <laughs> and I probably would have just got myself fired too, because I would have gone in and tell the ownership group, "Oh, okay, well, we'll get the next guy in." Then. Um, yeah, God only knows. I, I'm doing this job for the next three plus years. I've loved every second of it. And uh, look, when, you know, when I get closer to do it, I'll have to go out and do something else, and maybe in public life, maybe in private life. But I'm looking forward to keep fighting for the next three and a half years. And then after that, if the ownership group of the Pirates wants to listen to my crazy ideas on how to get a better rotation and a better uh, bullpen, then you know, we'll see if that, that actually comes to pass. That's it great. Is, and by the way, it is the best sport. I, anyone listening out there, I, throw <laughs> me your other sports. Uh, they're all great. Those athletes are all incredible. Baseball's still the best sport. Thank you. Well, that concludes uh, the Pugliese Associates podcast for today. And one of the things that you probably learned in these last uh, 30-some minutes is that uh, Eugene is very passionate, not only in terms of state government and his role as Auditor General, but uh, he's very passionate about his Pittsburgh Pirates team. Uh, we look forward in doing these podcasts periodically throughout the year so we can share unique and interesting perspectives from state government leaders like our Auditor General Eugene D. Pasquale and others who are dedicated to continually improving the lives of people living, working, and doing business here in the Commonwealth. Thanks again, Eugene. As always, great to talk with you. It's been fun. Thanks for having me. Thank you. <laughs>